Hi, everyone. Welcome to Refine and Grow with Justin and Lindsay. My name is Lindsay Allen. And my name is Justin Euler, and this is your podcast for proven strategies on navigating and managing work life. So today in this episode, we're going to really focus on more broadly put support staff. How do you engage with and relate with executive assistants, security, IT, which is for some of you, you either have been a member of a help desk and feel like I've just triggered you, or you've been online with support staff member and have either had a wonderful experience or probably like me, it's probably been a mixed bag. You know, these are the folks that kind of make things work. They're the folks that, you know, nobody notices when things are going well, but when things are a train wreck, everybody's right there pointing the finger, ready to pile on and throw another punch. So we're going to talk about that because one of the keys to success in your career is really understanding who those unheralded, to use a military term, force multipliers are. Who are those folks that grease the skids, that make things work, that may not have the same desires that you have, may desire to have better work-life balance, or they like being the folks that help make things work. They don't need to be the folks out front getting all the praise. So we're going to talk about those relationships today. And Lindsay and I have some similar stories and some different stories. But as those of you who've been listening for a bit of time know, I served in the military for about 10 years. And for part of that time, I was an officer and I had the job of being second in command of a company sounds way more impressive than it actually is. I I did everything the commander didn't want to do. So in a way, I was kind of head of support staff. And I had like the supply guy, the communications guy, I had the armorer, I had the training room staff, I had all those guys who, if you remember that old series, I think from the 80s or early 90s, Freaks and Geeks, that was me and my team. We were kind of proudly the Freaks and Geeks. I had those guys. And one thing you learned very quickly is that you don't piss them off. Don't piss them off because if you piss them off, you're not getting anything that you need to do your job well, or you will be the last person to get serviced. I also found as their boss, really their leader, because I really didn't need to manage them. I just had to lead them that they could make my life a living hell, or they could make me look like the biggest stud on the planet. And so I found that how I interacted with them, how I led them, you know, how I treated them result in how well they did their job and how well they did their job for me and for others. So there's a utilitarian aspect to this, but there's also just being a good human a good coworker, a good colleague. Too often we treat our support staff like second class citizens and we create this false dichotomy between the primary staff and the secondary staff. I fall into that. I will be the first person to admit, if you're an executive assistant, if you're IT support staff, if you're security, if you're the cleaning crew, the janitorial crew, as much as I love and appreciate you guys, I also owe you an apology because there are some times where I treat you like services rather than colleagues. And I want to reframe that. I think Lindsay and I both want to reframe that in our discussion today because you really are the folks that make things work in an organization, a key part of what makes things work in an organization. There's a quick story that just came to me, actually. I remember hearing years ago, it's how people view what they do and what kind of meaning they get from their work. There was a woman who was a janitor at NASA, and she was part of the night crew. So she would clean the trash bins and mop and sweep and clean the bathrooms. Not glorified work, good work, meaningful work, but not sexy work, to be sure. And she was asked, what do you do? And her answer was, I put men on the moon or something very close to that. And when I first heard that story, I was like, what? That's lofty. But what she saw in herself was that she was part of a larger effort. 
a larger team that quite literally was putting people on the moon. And she was just as important as the flight engineer, as the rocket scientist, as the astronaut, just as important to the success of that mission. Just as my supply guys, my combo guys, my armors, my training room guys were every bit as critical. In fact, in 2nd Ranger Battalion, in the 75th Ranger Regiment, we have mechanics and cooks who went through the same Ranger selection process, wore the same black beret we did, had to maintain the same level of marksmanship and physical fitness and Ranger knowledge. And when it came to combat, they stopped flipping burgers or turning wrenches, and they became combat search and rescue. They became security for the regimental commander or the battalion commander. In a lot of other units in the military, they would be viewed as second-class citizens. But in the Ranger Regiment, those guys were critical to success on a number of different fronts. So I think how we relate to folks who are quote-unquote support staff, it says a lot about us. It says a lot about our organization. Like I said, I think there's a utilitarian aspect to this. Let's get stuff done and get it done well. So let's cooperate and graduate and treat everyone well. And there's a humanity aspect. Do you think that person is worthy of dignity and respect just because they may not be the chief marketing officer or the business transformation practice leader or a VP of real estate and facilities? And I think that's really important. I'll tell one more quick story. There's a woman who now works for me who started out as my boss's executive assistant. And she was an executive assistant for a number of folks, extremely talented, smart woman. And she decided, I'm done being executive assistant. I want to figure out what my next step in my career is. My boss came to me and said, hey, this individual would like to explore consulting. What do you think? And because I had partnered with her, worked with her, had a really good relationship. She was actually the very first person I met in my current company in person because we're a lot of remote employees. I knew how smart she was. I knew that she was really good at project management, just not in a traditional sense of project management. I knew that she was an excellent verbal and written communicator. I knew that she could balance a bunch of balls all up in the air at the same time because I watched her do it with multiple executives who, frankly, we can be a pain in the ass. And so I saw her competency in all these different areas, and I was like, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, it's been one of the best employment decisions I've ever made was to take her on and give her an opportunity in the consulting world. And all those things I just stated about her were true. And we were able to catch her up on the domain knowledge in the area that we consult on. You can teach that, but you can't teach the soft skills necessarily. And she already had a lot of the project management communication skills that we were looking for. She had high IQ, high EQ, and high knowledge of our customer base and of the internal operations of our company. And wow, what an asset she really was. So that's the last little vignette I'll bore you with right now. But I will tell you, well, I'll tell you one more and then I'll hand it over to Lindsay. I'm way off topic, but hopefully these are illustrative of the point that we're trying to make. When I was a mid-level manager in consulting at my last firm, I was the change management lead on a customer relationship management software, CRM, software implementation at a global services provider, professional services provider. And they were a partner-based organization and a partnership-based organization. Their revenue, their value to the company are the relationships they have, the business they drive. And they are not ones to share that information broadly, at least the way this firm was kind of old school 
that was set up. So when you're implementing CRM, you're actually putting all your customer data into one tool. You're giving people access to your sales numbers, to your account numbers, to your margin numbers, to your relationship names and addresses and contact information and all of that. And suddenly, in a way, you kind of feel exposed. And a lot of our older partners, kind of my age and older, so I'm 48 to retirement age there was 55, mandatory retirement was 55. They didn't want to use CRM because they felt it was kind of a violation. And so the chief marketing officer who also owned the sales side of the organization, she and I were up in Toronto, Canada about 10 years ago. It was actually 2012. We had a, a long conversation and she said, well, what can we do? How can we do this? And we started think about it. And I said, well, how do these partners behave? And she said, well, all of them have executive assistants. I said, okay. And she said, one funny story about a lot of these partners is they have Outlook on their computers, but rather than reading their own email, they have their executive assistants read their email, print out the email, take the printed email to their inbox on their desk. They read the printed email rather than going onto their own machines and reading their email. They make notes and annotations. It may even dictate a response, send it back to their executive assistant. Their executive assistant types it all out and sends it off to the recipient. So it takes like a month to return an email. That cracked me up. That was hilarious. And we hatched an idea. The person that we needed to empower to use CRM was not the partner. It was the executive assistant. It was the executive assistant who really knew that partner's business, maybe even better than that partner. And they were not resistant to using technology. In fact, they use technology all the time because their partner refused to. So we decided that we were going to train and equip the executive assistants of those partners, about 45 years of age and older, to use the CRM. And then if the partner decided at one point they were going to use CRM, great. We'd get them trained up. But you know what? We didn't need them. We're going to keep pushing ahead anyway. That was a poignant example to me that just because they have VP or partner or senior director in front of their name or behind their name doesn't really mean that they're the ones running the organization. And so how you relate to people, how you treat people, it's both utilitarian. And I think it's just, you know, how we treat people well, treat all folks like they're worthy of dignity and respect, regardless of their title, regardless of their role. And we really have an opportunity to pull people along under a common vision and what looks like emptying the trash can in fact be sending people to the moon. Sometimes it's easy to not be totally aware, present and conscious about how you might be treating support staff because they often seem like the faceless, nameless group. This is just the mailbox that I reach out to, right? I'm not sure who cleans the building, but it does look nice. You know, I just send an email to this person to get on an executive's calendar. And I email this alias or I am this alias when I have an IT issue or dial this 1-800 number. And being able to put a face to it goes a long way. So Justin and I, before we started recording this episode, I was telling him very early on in my career, I can't remember who, but somebody had told me Whenever you start a new project, figure out who the executive assistant is and get to know them quickly and well and what their preferences are because they represent the preferences of the executive who often has a lot of stake in whatever you're delivering and is the decision maker and strategist. And so 
I was telling Justin, I really haven't run into difficulty with executive assistants because I've always followed that rule. And I was laughing, Justin, early on in the episode when you were comparing that team that you oversaw to the freaks and geeks and saying they had the power just to make my life a living hell or the biggest stud (laughs) that's around. I thought they do. They hold so much power and insight. Yeah. When you go up to them and introduce yourself, it goes a long way. Same with IT. I would be really curious to see how many hours of my work life have been spent, you know, waiting in line in person or at a help desk or on the phone for a help desk or a response to an IT ticket. So, you know, you're so dependent on technology to be productive and get things done. And so is everybody else. And so calling them and waiting to be connected to them, particularly if it's something like the network is down that day, you know, one of those big disastrous things that rarely ever happens because the support staff does their job well. But getting to know somebody from IT and recognizing like it's not them, they're answering the phone, they're getting to you as quickly as they can. It's the volume of people they have to support. Likely they're understaffed and doing the best they can. And so I think keeping that up front and at the top of your consciousness when you're interacting with these support staff people really helps you to better engage with them and create some relationships that actually will work to your favor, really, just as the examples you gave, they can make a big difference in your day-to-day experience at work, how solid of relationships you have with support staff. You know, I come from a middle-class family in a small logging town where fishing and logging were the primary economic base for a hundred years. My dad was a veterinarian, which is, he was a doctor, but he was an animal doctor, which actually it's harder to get into vet school than it is to med school. But having put that aside, kind of viewed as kind of the blue collar doc. So I grew up in very middle-class and to be honest with you, I never expected to be the guy in the white collar with the sports coat and walking through the Fortune 100 company. And so when I run into a lot of folks on support staff, they're my people. I think you probably feel the same way, Lindsay. I mean, there are people. They're the people we know and love and grew up with. In many ways, they're the keys to the kingdom and can be greatly overlooked. That's all for today. Don't forget to head out to our website to access additional resources such as case studies, tips and tricks worksheets, trainings, articles, subscribe to our podcast and newsletter, and more. And tune in next week for an all new episode. Thanks for listening.